This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of Fight Back. The results came in largely as predicted. We have a liberal minority government that is 13 seats shy of a majority, all of it concentrated in eastern and central Canada. And now the electrical map, the electoral map confirms that our country is more divided and polarized than ever. It's time for all the party leaders to give their heads a shake. But here is what the Prime Minister had to say. From coast to coast to coast, tonight Canadians rejected division and negativity. They rejected cuts and austerity, and they voted in favor of a progressive agenda and strong action on climate change. Uh, Did he not see the results? Uh, They rejected division. I think they entrenched division. And by the way, he made these comments last night in Montreal while Andrew Scheer was still at the podium in Regina making his concession speech. And there was a point where NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was also speaking at the same time. Now, to say the least, this is a small thing, but it's not the way it's done. And if this is an indication of how they will work together in a minority parliament, it's not Good. Now, Justin Trudeau was in trouble when the writ was dropped, and the thought was that this was the Conservatives to lose. And so they did. Uh, but they increased their caucus by 26 MPs, and they actually won the popular vote by thir- with 34.4% to the Liberals' 33%. But Despite those gains, there are still rumblings about a leadership change and musings about what could have been if Peter McKay or Ronna Ambrose was at the helm. Remember 2004, Stephen Harper's first election. He erased Paul Martin's majority and then went on to lead a conservative government that lasted for nearly 10 years. This is how it starts. Okay, so we will be devoting the entire hour to the election results. We'd like to hear from you, of course. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome our crack strategy panel, Karen Stintz, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, managing Principal of the Toronto Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group and Semhark Takes, the Senior Public Affairs Consultant at Enterprise Canada. Welcome to all of you. Thank Hello. you. Thank you. Okay, we'll start with you, Charles. Uh, the Liberals won the night. You're a Liberal, albeit they won with the minority, but that's basically what was predicted. Yeah, I think uh, I should tell you right off the top, Libby, I'm dealing with about three hours sleep 
overnight, so I'm a little disjointed, discombobulated, however you want to put it. Um, but, you know, it's obviously an enormous sense of relief for the Liberal campaign to have emerged with uh, a very sizable minority. Uh, there were obvious concerns about what happened in Saskatchewan and in Alberta, although our strength in um, British Columbia remains. Obviously, we maintained a lot of support in Atlantic Canada, in Quebec, and most notably in Ontario, where the Liberal campaign managed to sweep all 2416 ridings, which is uh, a considerable relief given what happened in the provincial Ontario election last year, where uh, we were reduced to uh, seven seats. So, all told, I think um, if you're a Liberal this morning, there's much cause for celebration. Karen Stintz, uh, you're, you're not a Liberal, but you were predicting a Liberal majority. I was. I actually uh, thought the NDP might lose its party status because coming into the campaign, there was some question about whether or not uh, Jagmeet Singh was connecting with the public, whether there was going to be candidates in Eastern Canada, whether they could meet their fundraising. He uh, couldn't afford a plane, so he was on a bus, making it difficult to, to campaign. So I actually thought um, that the collapse of the NDP would work in the favor of the Liberals. So I, I, I thought they would have a, re- a reduction of their seats, but I actually thought that they would be that they would be able to maintain their majority. And what do you make of the result? Well, it, uh, so the NDP didn't, uh, they, they did stronger than I thought. Um, I actually think, unfortunately, the real um, unfortunate part of this campaign is the lack of the, the movement of the Green Party. Because if there was an election, really, where they were going to make a breakthrough, it would have been this one. And uh, they still only managed to get th- three seats, I think, and uh, not maintain party status in, in or not, uh, sorry, not maintain, not get party status uh, in the House of Commons. So um, I think, all told, it was better for the NDP than I thought, worse for the Green than I anticipated. And, um, you know, the winner is, again, the Liberals, which, again, I think everybody expected. It's just, uh, I thought that they'd do a little bit better than they did. Semhar, did the Conservatives under Andrew Scheer blow it? I don't think they blew it. Look, I think that um, the plan had always been for it to take two elections for Andrew Scheer to become prime minister. Um, they've increased their parliamentary standing. There's now 26 extra seats that the Conservatives have picked up. Um, I also think that... Um, you know, this, this was a tough campaign. It was a dirty campaign. And we're the only, I think all of the party leaders and most of the party leaders lost. I think the only person or the only party leader who came out of this election a winner is Mr. Blanchette. Um, I had no idea who Mr. Blanchette was on day one of this election. And I think most Canadians didn't think the bloc was a factor. Um, and he managed to get there. It wasn't <laughs> until he came out of the gate. That's right. And here we are, 32 seats. Uh, he's got an important standing in, in the House of Commons and, uh, and an important voice uh, for, for separatist Quebecers. Uh, well, and not just separatist Quebecers, Quebecers who are maybe nationalists, but not separatists. I mean, he did say that uh, he didn't have a mandate for separatism this time around, though in his last speech before the vote, that's what he was talking about. I mean, how dangerous is that, Charles? Well, separatism in Quebec is is kind. Of, this is an unfortunate analogy, but it's kind of like anthrax, which is to say, it can lie dormant underground for long periods of time and then spring up very suddenly and with great ferocity. 
and um, it's never to be underestimated. Some have argued that separatism is actually now part of Canada's identity. It was interesting to see Monsieur Blanchet over the space of about a 45-minute acceptance speech last night, which forced all the other leaders to be sort of jumping all over each other at about 1.15 in the morning Eastern time uh, to talk about how he regards his relationship with the government of Quebec as being critical, and that should be something of an indication as to where the priorities of the Bloc Québécois and the House of Commons will be um, and how, and the Liberals may be able to position themselves accordingly and have at least some sight lines into what it will be, what will be required to gain the Bloc support. Well, I, I think he was pretty clear. He said if it's something that's, uh, in his view, good for Quebec, he'll support it, and if not, no dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Liberals do not have a single seat in the West. No. And I think that's the, um, you know, when we talk about Quebec separatism, I'm not really sure that's the discussion. Uh, I think it's really about uh, the Quebec identity. And to your point, Libby, the Western identity. And we're creating these pockets within our country where the identities of people are disparate. And Quebec isn't going to do anything that will support a pipeline, which is what the West actually needs to see happen in order for them to feel less alienated from the rest of the country. So, we have this situation where, you know, now the West is talking about whether they separate, and I don't think they're going to separate. I don't think Quebec is going to separate. But I, I do think it um, is not healthy for a nation when we have national parties that are protecting their local regional identity and not working on behalf of the national interest. So there's hashtag Wexit, which is a <laughs> Western exit. How seriously should we take that? And, and how do you think, how do the Liberals go about governing with nobody, nobody out there? Well, I mean, if you're including, uh, you know, I hope you'd include Manitoba and British Columbia in your definition of Western Canada. And we do, in fact, have very strong Liberal MPs and ministers in both those places. Obviously, Alberta and Saskatchewan, we suffered um, some losses there. And that that's really the immediate problem, because there does seem to be a, a profound sense of frustration in those two particular provinces in particular, largely driven by the oil and gas industry, but also the specter of the Trudeau name. I mean, that is that is a big part of the dynamic there. And there is a degree of irrationality to um, some of the frustration that's being expressed. I heard one commentator uh, who led the Get Rid of Ralph Goodale campaign in Regina um, upon hearing the results that Mr. Goodale had been defeated was decrying the fact that Saskatchewan would no longer have a representative <laughs> at the federal cabinet table. Well, I mean, be careful the, what you wish the, for. The, it verges on insanity, right? That sort of, you know, it's, it's like, how, where, where, where is this coming from? But it is a reality of, of the political discourse out there, and hopefully cooler heads will prevail. Look, it wouldn't be the first time that a Trudeau would have caused the national unity crisis in Canada. So um, I think it's very serious. I think that uh, the Liberal Party and, and Justin Trudeau are going to have to take this issue very seriously. And the way to deal with it is to very quickly reach across the aisle and work with the Conservative Party to ensure that Albertans and Canadians in Saskatchewan know that their voices um, matter at the cabinet table, that they matter in, 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 in Parliament, um, and that their issues are taken into account in the policymaking and decision-making of this government. So what are they going to do? Are they going to pull in some senators from that region? I mean, the Senate is allegedly nonpartisan now. No, I think it, I think, I mean, I I can't speak for the Prime Minister, but I think it unlikely that he would go that particular route given the changes he's made to the Canadian Senate. I know there's a lot of speculation that Mr. Goodale would be appointed to the Senate and would take on a cabinet portfolio. I suppose it could happen. It would certainly 
be legal. It's, there's not without precedent, but I, I think it's highly unlikely. Do, uh, the, I don't even think they have to be a senator. He could presumably put somebody in cabinet who has to run at the earliest opportunity. Is that correct? Yeah, he could do that. Um, also, I mean, he could, if he was going to be very creative and really cared about national unity, he could actually put a conservative in a cabinet position or, to deal with Western issues. Because the reality is, if he wants his pipeline built, the only way he's going to get it built is with conservative support. And there were a number of conservatives that were elected in British Columbia. So it's not as if BC is wholly against the pipeline. Uh, but what we do know is that the Bloc Québécois is completely against the pipeline. The Green Party is against the pipeline and the NDP is against the pipeline. And that is going to become, I think, the focus of our national discussion over the next little while until it gets resolved. Because we've invested, what, $5 billion in that pipeline? And yet we're no closer to getting it built. And it is causing a schism in the nation, which is, I think, very, very dangerous. Um, Andrew Scheer, um, well, not Andrew Scheer, Ronna Ambrose, um, when she was interim leader, uh, appointed Rob Moore as a caucus member. He didn't have a seat in parliament, um, but he represented a really strong Atlantic Canadian voice um, in caucus and was an advisor to her and then um, and then to Andrew Scheer. So that's that's also something that um, that uh, the prime minister can do. What I would say is it would take a lot more in this instance than just having an advisor from either Alberta or Saskatchewan advising the prime minister on policies that would impact those regions. So what is the bigger challenge then? Is it the West and the pipeline or is it the Bloc? Oh, I mean, traditionally, from from the perspective of Canadian history, you have to look to Quebec as being, if not the more immediate threat right now, then the, then certainly the the larger scale threat to Canadian unity. I mean, Western alienation, Western separatism movements have come and gone. I think most Western Canadians, most Albertans, most Saskatchewan residents are very, very proud Canadians. Um, in a way that, in a way that Quebecers feel differently about. Um, and in terms of threats to national unity, I mean, job one for a prime minister is to keep the country together, and Quebec is a traditional fault line just because of the English-French divide. Yeah, but I mean, there is no Kexit movement right now, right? Yeah. Very quickly, we are facing with a what we call a Wexit movement that may or may not grow. We're in day one after the election, so we'll have to see where that goes. But we can't discount this sentiment, um, and, and we can't we can't forget history and how strong this sentiment was under Trudeau Senior. So. I agree. I agree with Charles, but uh, I think that Justin Trudeau and the Prime Minister has a lot of work to do to bring Albertans and Saskatchewanians um, back into the fold, or else we will face another unity crisis coming I, from the West. I have to say that on this program, every time we discuss this, there are people who call in, members of our audience, who are still mad at Trudeau Senior and will not. Uh, you know, will not have anything to do with Justin Trudeau because of Trudeau Pair, yeah. which which I find very interesting. And, and I do think it still runs deep. And I, I think the other part of the national discourse that is, I think, needed is the fact that this pipeline is very pragmatic. It is a needed piece of infrastructure that should be built. There's no reason that we should ship that bitumen through the U.S. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. And out West, it was interesting, the commentary this weekend, out West, they feel very um, disenfranchised because it's it's like saying to Ontario and Quebec, you should shut down your car plants. You should shut down your airplane manufacturing plants, right? Because those contribute to CO2 emissions just as much as the oil fields do um, in terms of what the overall pollutants are. 
But of course, that's never going to happen. So why is one part of the country lecturing another part of the country when the reality is we actually need to work together to figure out how we're going to grow our national economy? And we can't grow our national economy without Alberta, quite frankly, in the way that we otherwise could. So I think the Quebecers are going to embroil themselves up on Bill 21. And as much as I find that law odious. If, if everyone were just to leave that alone, you probably have enough support in Quebec to continue on. But I think the bigger issue for the, for the, for the country is how we're going to deal with the pipeline. Okay, I, w- I was just about to get on to Bill 21, but let's take a couple of calls first. We've got Marion in Etobicoke. Hello, Marion. Hi, Libby. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm so interested with all the pundits saying getting along. All, all the parties... Every head of each party is a very intelligent person. Could they please get over their ego trips and work together? This election has shown that we, the public, are not happy with the world is go- the way the world, uh, the way the country's going. We need unity. Please, please, let's get it together. Let's not even talk about another election in two years. That's money wasted. Let's work together now and make us a strong, proud country that each of us says we are. Is that, is, is Marion's plea, is that Pollyanna or is that? I'm Pollyanna, yes. I was asking the, the panel what, what, what they think. I, there's so many people who feel like you, but, and this, this particular campaign was pretty nasty. I think nastier than most. So I'm, uh, thanks for your call, Marion. I'm going to throw it to the panel about what they think the chances are. Appreciate your call. Well, the the interesting thing is we saw a, a very conciliatory statement out of Ontario Premier Doug Ford this morning. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it, some people might say it's boilerplate, but the reality of a minority situation and the reality of our federal-provincial dynamic at the moment really calls out for exactly what Marion is asking for, which is a, a, high, a much higher degree of um, cooperation among key players. And I think there's less appetite for uh, the kind of partisan vitriol that we've seen over the course of the campaign and in our political discourse generally, and more and more people are getting fed up with it. And uh, uh, it may be that um, voters have sent a very clear message and, uh, you know, rejecting right-wing populism to an extent while it's taken root in other parts of the world sends a, a very real message. Okay, I'm going to read from that statement. And I have to say that one of the things that... Um, Journalists and pundits were kind of rubbing their hands together saying, now, how is Doug Ford going to work with Justin Trudeau after all the things that Justin Trudeau said about Doug Ford in this campaign, which caused him to be banished to the witness protection program for the duration? So here's his statement. I want to congratulate Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on his re-election and congratulate all federal leaders, blah, 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 blah. Our government looks forward to working with the Prime Minister and with all federal parties to build better public services and make life more affordable and prosperous for Ontarians and all Canadians. So... I think that is interesting. And the other interesting thing I found in the uh, various commentary last night was Bob Ray, among others, saying he thinks the Conservatives would have done better if Doug Ford had been campaigning for them. Uh, what do you think? Of, what do you think of that, Samhar? 
Well, I'll leave Bob Ray to his opinions. Um, I think I think, look, Ontarians can make the difference between their federal party leaders and their provincial party leaders. Um, and, and Andrew Scheer did quite well. I mean, he raised the party standing by 26 seats. Um, he had a, a strong campaign. It's unfortunate that we didn't get the result that he was expecting in the GTA. Um, but there's always the next election and that might be that might be sooner than we expect. So, well, and I think um, to Doug's credit. Doug Ford's credit, I think he scored an immense victory by having every federal party support his transit initiative in some capacity. The NDP, the Liberal, the Conservatives, they all came out and said that they would support his transit expansion. So I think in a moment of reflection, he realized that uh, if he keeps his eye on the bigger prize and extends the olive branch to work with the government, then he might actually get the funding that this region needs so desperately in order to build transit that we need so badly. Yeah, and I, I think Mr. Ray was probably being a little bit provocative last <laughs> yeah. night, as he's occasionally known to be. Um, uh, you know, Doug Ford exhibited tremendous discipline over the course yeah. of the Yeah, and who knew? There were a number of occasions when you just knew he was sitting at home, just fins, fists clenched and just thinking, oh, let me out there, let me out there. But he knew that the best thing he could do would be to sit back and let voters make their own determinations as to what was happening federally. And there's no doubt that the Liberals were very successful and leveraging the Ford name in terms of garnering support. Um, I mean, it's just it's just a reality that we all have to be aware of. But I will say this in response to Semhar, and I hope we get a chance to talk about it. I've never been a big fan of prophecy. It's a lousy way to make a living. I'll be shocked if Andrew Scheer is the leader of the Conservative Party federally a year from now. Okay, tell me, tell me why, despite, I mean, you know, by regular measures, he did okay. Yeah, and I, I get the, the two-election strategy, but Andrew Scheer is no Stephen Harper. I think most conservatives have come to that conclusion that the, the, there isn't the same level, the same level of skill, the same level of acumen. Um, Scheer was elected in a way that almost saw Maxime Bernier elected as leader of the Conservative Party. I would say their voting system had a lot to do with that, too. But the the ultimate reality, and I've heard this from a lot of Conservatives, is that, you know, in a year that gave us the SNC-Lavalin scandal and, you know, during a campaign where blackface and brownface became, you know, one of the preeminent issues, there was a widespread expectation that... Justin Trudeau was ripe for the picking and should have been taken down. And uh, lo and behold, that didn't happen. And there are lots of qualified conservatives in the wings who are quite convinced that they can do far better than Mr. Scheer did. Well, there were a couple of things that made me think, gee, he's not that skilled. And most recently, this is like that whole Warren Kinsella eruption, you know, two days before the election. I don't think it was a big thing, but the way he handled it saying, I can't answer for anything that the party does or uh, people they hire. I mean, I, I th- that was just made him look like he was hiding something when, you know, there was an obvious way to handle that. Oh, yeah. And he was he was I mean, that's obviously a situation where you find yourself on on the defensive and, and reactive um, but, I mean, probably the biggest mistake in the last 72 hours was doing a rally a la Donald Trump and calling for a judicial inquiry, knowing that you're going to be met with cries of lock okay. him up, lock him up. And to, to put yourself in that situation, I mean, Canadians just recoiled in horror at that, right? Because it's it's just it's an impossible not to draw the comparison. And also the not, ad, not as advertised attack line that was sort of at the core of the Conservatives' campaign. Um, I mean, 
the the whole notion of the, the insurance stuff. It may have been small beer, yeah. but boy, if you're leading with that attack line, you better make sure you're pretty solid on your own front. Well, well yeah, and, and just in general, he took a long time to come out and say, I'm pro-life, even though he kept saying he's not going to try to change the law. So is it a question that he's he's a social conservative and they really need somebody who is not leading the conservatives. Is that the case? So I, I, I watched CTV last night and CBC. I kept going back and forth between the two. And on CTV, I paid very close attention to Thomas Mulcair. And it appeared to me, and maybe it was because I wanted, I saw what I wanted to see, but that he had this I told you so sort of grin on his face. And I think the NDP should be a cautionary tale to what happens when parties turf a leader too quickly. I, I really do think that if Thomas Mulcair had stayed on, that the NDP would have done better in in, in Quebec. Oh, for sure. So, <laughs> it's so, like, is that even a question? So we talk we talk about Andrew. Scheer, you know, the question was, you know, should Andrew Scheer resign? Or, or, or Charles said that he doesn't expect him to be leader in a year. I really hope that um, cooler heads will prevail. I really hope that the Conservative Party members will use the NDP uh, experience as a lesson here. Andrew Scheer raised the the party standing um, t- by twenty six seats. Yeah, there was some things that you know I wish he would have handled a little bit differently on the campaign you know there's um he he was a first time party leader running for for election the second time he'll do better um and uh and but I, is I, he too too socially conservative so no i i don't think so i don't think that's the issue i think the um, unfortunately the issue with a politician running a national campaign is that you're learning on the job in a very public spotlight and so every mistake you make is amplified but, uh, you know, Stephen Harper, he used to joke that uh, he wanted to be an accountant, but he didn't have the personality for it. <laughs> so he became a politician. Like, I remember the days when Stephen Harper was, would come to Toronto and they, the, the Canadian club couldn't even fill a lunch for him because he was just so distant and removed and such well, a cool yeah, fish. And, yeah. like, and the fact that remember he... Remember him shaking hands with his kid? kid he was prime minister, minister then. That's right. And so, you know, and I, 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 never, I never recoiled from him the way the public seemed to because of, of his, distance, pers- his distant personality. But, you know, here I think we have Andrew Shearer, who actually I think is a, is a better personality. Um, he made some mistakes, there's no question. Uh, but, I, I, like, to your point, I, I think that to replace him right now would not be in the Conservatives' interest because I think that he has the benefit of one election under his belt, and I think he has room to grow, and I think he will. Speaking of Stephen Harper, I remember one one speech he gave where he was talking about how people say, oh, you're flat and you're lifeless and you're without any sort of humor. And he said, whenever I hear that, I say the same thing. Kids, go to your room. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, showing a degree of self-deprecation there. Yeah. But, but one of the one of the defining characteristics of this conservative campaign um, was it just felt to me like they were they hated Justin Trudeau so much. And I think one of the reasons they did was because, you know, they, they considered him so unworthy to have defeated Stephen Harper in 2015 the way that they did. And that that seemed to skew their judgment on so many different occasions in terms of their willingness to, you know, famously, Andrew Shearer's attack at the opening of the English leaders debate where he came out and said, you're a fraud. And I know that was really, I, I mean, it was like, what? And I said at the time, it was in, it was high risk, right? That yeah. a lot of Canadians would look at that and think, boy, that is not prime ministerial and 
that's not the way we want our leaders to interact. I, I get that he was trying to appeal to the base, that he was trying to rile up the base to try to get as much turnout in the terms of voting as, as possible, but it, it just seems in retrospect that it fell flat, and I think it'll cost him very dearly. And as promised, I'm going to take some calls from callers who've been waiting patiently. Siva in Toronto. Hi, Siva. Hi, Libby. I just wanted to say that if it weren't for the block, Mr. Trudeau would have had a big majority. And the Nanasreed poll, which put the two leaders neck and neck, would have been completely false. But the young people in Quebec came out and they supported the block, and that took Mr. Trudeau's majority away from him. But he did very well. Well, uh, I don't know about that, because we were just saying that if Tom Mulcair was still the NDP leader, um, the NDP might have kept their seats in Quebec. Well, we don't know about that, because he isn't there. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, Thank Siva, you. so are, are you uh, happy with the result? I am. I am. I, I, I didn't like Mr. Scheer. At one point, I was with him, but then after he called Mr. Trudeau dishonest, I didn't like that, so I switched. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. People, people don't don't like that kind of pretty personal attack. Siva, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Okay, let's hear from Alex in East York. Hello, Alex. All right, Libby. A couple of points, really quickly. First of all, uh, worrying about Quebec separatism. I stopped worrying about that a long time ago. It's not going to happen. They are too dependent on um, the constant pandering that our federal, irrespective of who the government is, the federal government panders to that province. Our space agency is there. They move the Canadian Forces Supply Depot from Ontario. To every big project is in Quebec, and they're too dependent on the transfer of funds. Separating might mean losing all that money and clout, and I don't think anyone there is really going to do it. The other thing I'd point I'd like to make really quickly, especially here in Toronto with a lot of pretentious people I know who are, you know, um, uh, well, they're, they're to the left politically, you know, the Prime Minister um, has turned his back on First Nations, uh, is fighting against a lot of the decisions, and also appeared in not only blackface but also brownface. He was given a total pass by the media. If it had been Sheer or Bernier with those pictures, they'd have been front and center 24-7. But we had an actual choice. I voted NDP for the first time because we had an actual choice to have a person of color as our Prime Minister an actual one who was just as good on the environment as Trudeau the Younger. And now what I'm hearing from your panel here is that if the older white man had been in charge of that party in Quebec, they might have done better. All I see is another white, another Caucasian of privilege, a male, as our prime minister, when we had a genuine option and nobody is mentioning that. Well, uh, I, he was uh, in the basement when the election started. Alex, thanks for your call. I don't think he was ever an option to be prime minister. And it was very brave of him to be running in Quebec like that. And I, th I think that... <clears throat> I think that, that he did some, Jagmeet Singh did some good, uh, because he performed really well and he showed Quebecers that despite the turban, but, you know, Bill 21, I, I wanted to get to that. All the leaders, including Singh, I have to say are pretty weaselly about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if anyone tries to touch it, that's where, uh, 
Blanchette is uh, is is going to mobilize. So, well, there's no question. I think th- no one's going to touch Bill 21. And as I say, I think it's quite frankly an odious law. But as I mentioned, but the, the liberals can't afford to touch it now because they might need the support of the bloc um, unless they figure out a different way to mobilize uh, their support. But you know, I, I think it is a sad reflection on our nation that that bill is allowed to be the law in part of this land and that someone wearing a turban can't work in the school or the courts or as an officer uh, or in any public service role. I, I think it's just wrong. And I, all of our leaders are going to let it stand for political purposes, which I think is too bad. If any of us wondered why young Canadians are cynical about politics, mm-hmm. I think I think this this is a perfect a perfect example of why. It's really unfortunate that not only do we have party leaders who oppose this bill and aren't willing to come out strongly against it, we have a party leader who's wearing a turban and wouldn't be able to work um, in that province. Um, you know, still not really opposing this bill as strongly as he should be. I was very disappointed by that. The TVA debate was the opportunity for Jagmeet Singh to come out strongly against Bill 21. I expected that from all party leaders, but specifically from him, I was particularly disappointed. Yeah, I mean, his explanation, excuse, well, it's going through the court, so we don't need to do anything. It's a but that's cop-out. pretty lame. That's mm-hmm. pretty lame. Yeah. yeah. And, and Justin Trudeau, uh, and I don't know, some people said he was brave and bold because he said maybe he'd intervene. He's, he's not going to be intervening, is he, Charles? Uh, that remains to be seen. Um, I think given how things developed over the course of the campaign, I mean, let's, let's step back and realize this is, a, this is a wickedly intractable issue. I mean, Quebec identity is real. It's recognized in our constitution. It's recognized in our laws. What the Quebec government has chosen to do is, in fact, legal, as odious as it may be. And it's incumbent on any prime minister, first and foremost, to respect the law in these kinds of areas. And I realize that's difficult. But I think, you know, as as political, if this thing were any more of a dog, it would have fleas in terms of political problems. I will say about Blanchette as well, um, people forget that he was elected leader of the Bloc Québécois in January, and he started with Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing and really rode a a tremendous wave and in the process effectively annihilated the NDP and the Conservatives in his home province. And like the last time we saw something like this happen, different circumstances, was 1993 when Jean Chrétien won his first majority, but um, Lucien Bouchard emerged, and lo and behold, two years later, we had a full-blown referendum and uh, came within a hair of Quebec leaving, which I think sort of counters what Alex was talking about. You know, uh, here's one of the things that I find ironic. Maxime Bernier, People's Party, who lost his seat. Now, my impression of Bernier, I don't think he's the racist or the bigot that most people paint him to be, but I think he espouses the same views as all of those Quebecers who believe that Bill 21 is the right thing, mm-hmm. yet uh, the mainstream politicians treat those politicians like Blanchet with kid gloves and they put all the bad stuff on Bernier. And I don't really think that I think their views would be, I mean, he's more of a libertarian politically, but I think the views are the same. I would agree. I would agree. Because in fact, I I don't think that Bernier is is all that you described either. I, I I think he's a lightweight. 
I think he's a little vacuous. Um, and <laughs> I think that's, I, I think that he picked an issue that is a fringe issue and he got treated as a fringe candidate. Uh, but I still think that there is some sense in the nation at large that there's unresolved issues that we do have to address. But nothing is as in your face as Bill 21 in terms of well, what, what I think is, is just pure racism. To be I, candid, it's not identity; it's racism. It's straight up racism. Um, I, I I got to know Max Bernier quite well. I worked in in the Whip's office on Parliament Hill, um, served caucus, including him for the better part of four years. And uh, I, I don't think Max Bernier is a racist. I don't think Max Bernier cares about these issues. I think Max Bernier is a political opportunist. I think he um, saw an issue that he could capitalize on and seize the opportunity and did so. Max Bernier is concerned about the economy, um, and he he's mostly a libertarian. This is not this is not an issue. He he cares about this is an issue he thought would hit, take him to the top and, uh, and and grow his party, which is I think that much more unfortunate. Uh, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's there's that's, no party. That's, there's no party of the right. people. That, that's that's interesting. Uh, let's hear from Colin in Toronto. Hi, Colin. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, uh, I think the Conservatives should put somebody in like Peter McKay. Uh, if he was in in this election, they would have done a lot better. Uh, they they need a rock star politician, as they say. You know, because a lot of it's a popularity contest. You know, and, it's, uh, uh, he's come yeah. a long way. Peter McKay is a rock star, but uh, he he certainly well, is. Well, we well, we talked to him here. Star. He's East an impressive guy. <laughs> Pardon? East Coast rock star. East Coast rock star. He <laughs> no, lives in Toronto coast. now. No, he's from the West. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess uh, Charles would agree with you. Thanks for your call, okay. Colin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you say to that? You think that they would be punished for changing their leader? Um, I don't think it's time to do that. I don't think there's an interest right now in changing leader. I know Charles wants to see that happen. He's already predicted it. But I don't believe that's where Conservative Party members are right now. I think that, uh, like I said, the NDP is our cautionary tale. Let's stick to what we have. Let's benefit from experience, you know, an operational political machine um, and uh and, and name recognition that uh, that Andrew Shear has built over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean the, the Conservatives are famous for eating their own, and I mean the Provincial Party did it. And um, it, now, if if we see this at the federal level, I, I think it just does damage to the party because although everyone expected the Conservatives to take advantage of the Liberal missteps. To be candid, it wasn't the Conservatives had this fantastic campaign full of policy ideas that would help rally the nation around their vision. <laughs> right. It was just the liberals continued to step in it and everyone expected that Shear would take make the most of it. Um, and, he, and he didn't. And so now there's an opportunity to really think about what what is the vision for the nation that the conservatives want to bring to the next campaign. And I think if they get embroiled in this leadership debate, it just takes time away from what the discussions that they really need to be having. We had one caller who said, oh, the conservatives should have another leader. But of course, there is that cautionary tale of getting rid of somebody too quickly. And uh, there's also another cautionary tale. So the average for minority parliaments to last is about two years. Uh, but if anybody, you know, dumps the this has a vote of no confidence and triggers an early election, they get punished. The history mm -hmm. is that if that happens, when that happens, the party with the minority comes back with a majority. So who's going to do that? Well, at this point, the only party that is even in a position to do it is the Conservatives, because everyone else is broke. And the Conservatives have to get their own house in order, so I don't think it's in their interest to do it either, because quite frankly, I think they would have... The time is their ally now 
to get themselves organized, to get themselves um, figuring out what they want to, who they want to be as a party. So I don't see, I, I think it's going to be messy and ugly and, but I, I don't, I don't see any party triggering an election. Uh, well, it's, it's not just that the parties are broke, but apparently a lot of MPs need another two years to qualify for pensions. Uh, oh, the calendar. That's right. <laughs> I mean, the liberals might invoke it themselves if they feel that they are, if they're standing in the polls, go up in a couple months or next year. You know, the liberals might do what uh, Peterson did in Ontario, which backfired on them nonetheless, but they might go to the polls early and say, give us a mandate. Yeah, I mean... Uh, federal election campaigns are like prize fights between heavyweights, right? Which is once you get out of the ring after 15 rounds, you you just you got to stay away for a good six months, 12 months, 18 months. I'd be I'd be surprised if we see an election before. Uh, I, I, I would give the life of this government a solid two years, possibly longer, just given the way things have evolved. Now, events can upend predictions in a hurry so we'll have to see but yeah it feels to me that the size of this minority government and and the way the opposition benches play out suggests a longer life to this government than not okay uh we have uh daryl in toronto with a pretty creepy story daryl hi how you doing fine how are you i'm okay a little tired from yesterday i was working as a poll clerk and uh just some kind of sobering thought came up of three, when they were counting the ballots, there were three of them that were, uh, where they chose the candidate for the People's Party. And one of them was marked with a swastika. Oh, that's, uh, that's gross. Where was this? Uh, Toronto. Yeah, where in Toronto? Willowdale. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I hate to hear stories like that, but uh, it's only three ballots, I guess, out of very many and only one. I mean, that's just one out of three. I hope one it was considered a spoiled ballot and not counted. <laughs> uh, no, I asked about that, and it was, you know, it was uh, stated pretty much that well, the person made their candidate choice very clear. So, well, no reason not to count it. Another reason we should be happy to see the People's Party go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to share that with the people. Okay. Well, Daryl, thanks for sharing that. Okay. Okay, and. Yeah, it's it's uh, good to see people from the community working in the polls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And my polling station, I I'm a, a purist on voting day. I like to wait till the actual voting day mm-hmm. to go vote. And uh, the polling station was very busy. I I was going to and I forgot to look up turnout because everybody was saying it was going to be low turnout. And everybody, I voted in the advance poll and there was a little bit of a lineup. And everybody I talked to that voted yesterday at different times of the day had a big line, including my husband at about in the morning, you know, 940. Mm-hmm. He waited 45 minutes. I've talked to people who waited an hour, waited at least half an hour. Yeah, Variety Village, we actually had a poll at the facility and it was busy all day long. Advanced oh, really? polling numbers were up. Overall, poll, mm-hmm. uh, overall voting was down. Um, oh, and it's not surprising, given that uh, this wasn't a change election. It's usually change elections that bring out the... the so they, it was down, even though there my were... Understand. I, my understanding me. is that it was down from 2015, but up from 2011. Ah, oh, yeah. okay. So, like you And that's say. the difference between a change election and yeah. a non-change election. Okay, let's hear from Christine in Toronto. Hi, Christine. Hi. I wanted to comment on the uh, style of... of um, canvassing that our leaders really do as far as, um, you know, spreading misinformation, uh, not listening to other people's opinions, no no respect for the other party. And I comment on their parenting style. Uh, Between Sheer and Trudeau, they have eight children. Is this 
the type of information they want their children? Is this how they parent their children? Frankly, these adults are childish in their behavior. And how I don't know how they can explain that to their kids. Is this okay if you're in politics, but not okay for children? That's my comment. Okay. Thank you for that, Christine. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Let's go to Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi. How are you? Fine. Yeah. Um, this election, if it was, it couldn't have been worse for the country the way it ended up with no representation for the, for in the actual government from the Prairie Provinces and the Quebec situation. I do not agree that the, uh, a party can be, should be running solely for a one, one province. But most of the votes that come in for the Conservatives were at West were really against Trudeau. If they want to try and save this government, it would be, if I was Trudeau, I would suggest that he steps down and put somebody else in because the people really didn't vote necessarily against the Liberal Party out West, but they sure voted against Trudeau. And this could be a, and I've mentioned on the phone once uh, on your radio station that it could, you know, it could break up the country and it could break up the country. And because there's no representation at all there now. And is it really right? So my hope is that, that we do have another election probably within six months to a year and get this result because that's not right. Okay, it's totally Bob. wrong. And Thanks for your call. I, I really wouldn't uh, hold my breath for Justin Trudeau to step aside. And I gather he has lots of support inside the party. Yeah, indeed he does, especially after last night. Um, and, you know, the people of, uh, let's, let's make a couple of distinction. One, Manitoba and British Columbia, both part of Western Canada, both elected Liberal MPs, re-elected ministers. Um, second, the, the good folks of Alberta and Saskatchewan have exercised their franchise and made up their mind. And, um, you know, this, this is the result. Uh, I'm sure that steps will be taken within government to try to address some of the shortcomings. There are various options that will be explored. But um, welcome to democracy, folks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, expect no. any change at the helm of the Liberal Party. No. I don't think Justin Trudeau thought that it was it was a, a, a repudiation of him no. yesterday, given from his from his concession speech. Um, I don't see well, that was his victory speech. His vic- sorry, his victory <laughs> speech. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked thinking. it to be. A, yeah, that's right. Um, I would have liked it to be a, a concession speech. But yeah, his victory speech. He sounded like a, a man who thought he won a majority. Yeah. Um, Boy, they were all out of sync last all of them. night. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. they seemed a bit tone deaf, including the prime minister, if I dare say. I mean, he he had a bit of a throwaway line with regards to Man- with regards to Saskatchewan and Alberta and what had happened there, and it did have, and each seemed to be sort of defending. I mean, in the case of Sheer and Singh, they were both defending how they had done, and really not responding to what this huge signal the Canadians. Had well, sent. yeah, and we we heard that clip from Justin Trudeau at the beginning of the show where he said Canadians have rejected division. No, No, they they have embraced it. (laughs) There could be a scenario where Justin Trudeau is fighting a unity crisis on two ends of the country. I mean, if he moves forward... That's what Bob just said. Bob from Adobico. That's right. He was right. If if he moves forward with fighting Bill 21 in the courts, um, then there could be a unity crisis in Quebec. And if he 
doesn't uh, make changes in the way he deals with Albertans and Saskatchewanians, there could be another unity crisis there. So um, I, I, I think that he was totally out of touch in his yeah. victory speech yesterday. Well, and I, I think, um, you know, Doug Ford has given a, a conciliatory congratulations to the, to the premier. But, you know, again, understand the tea leaves. If something were to shift, he's a sleeping lion there. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, his Trudeau's life could become quite difficult. Um if if he, if this isn't managed, you know another important lesson, and and I don't mean to pile on Mr. Shear because he's a Regina guy, and I like people from Regina. <laughs> um, you know there was a there was a, a he's rival. actually from Ottawa, he, yeah. but, he, <laughs> but ma- married into Regina. Okay, okay. <laughs> I married into Orangeville, so that's what I have going for me. Um, he um, was interviewed by a rival network uh, yesterday morning and a relatively unknown female reporter went at him very, very hard yesterday morning on the so-called mistruths that had been spread by the conservative campaign consistently, whether it was the, the sort of secret home tax that the liberals were going to impose. The GST. Or the GST, exa- exactly. And she went at him to the extent of saying, how would you explain this to your children, these outright falsehoods? And I think there's a cautionary tale for all political parties because there is a temptation in the age of Trump to to try to sell whoppers, right, which is just sell alternative versions of the truth. And if it works, then, hey, you can pat yourself on the back and think, how clever am I politically? But devastating to our democracy. Well, and interesting, uh, the Green Party uh, really criticizing the NDP for things that they said. And I heard Elizabeth May this morning talking and saying, you know, uh, she doesn't see, she thinks they did did them a big favor because she didn't run anyone against Singh in in Burnaby. Mm. And uh, she said, I don't know how that relationship will be repaired because they did say things about her. I'm looking at the clock Again, and we're almost out of time, so I'm going to get a closing statement quickly from each one of you, 20 seconds or so, starting with Semhar. Um, I'm happy to see the election over. Um, I will say that uh, this is election of losses. I think it's it's a loss for Canadians as a whole. Um, I think it's a loss for most of the party leaders, and the only real winner of this election was Blanchette, which might actually hurt Canada as a whole. So I would really like to see the Prime Minister make uh, required efforts to to unite unite Canadians and ensure this country remains united. Charles? I think Canadians have spoken. They've produced a result which is quite remarkable, which is to say that the Liberals have been reduced from a majority to a fairly solid minority, so they'll have to behave differently, they'll have to act differently, they'll have to work more cooperatively with other parties, and I think it's a credit to our democracy that we have this result. Yeah, I do think that... um, um Trudeau would be would be wise to see this for what it is, which is he 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 didn't get handed a majority. It's not business as usual in Ottawa, and and uh, changing the way that he has been doing business, uh, I think would be beneficial for him and his future. Uh, you know, in spite of all the rhetoric around Andrew Shear, I think he did a good job. He increased his seat count. People know him now. He learned a lot, and it would be a shame to waste those learnings trying to get into a leadership debate, which I think will not produce gains for the party. And I think, again, you know, Elizabeth May, she's going to retire from politics. And uh, I think that we owe her a debt of gratitude for highlighting an issue that became the election issue for a lot of Canadians. And it's unfortunate that her party didn't make bigger gains. But uh, I think that party um, has room to grow. And uh, I think we, we do owe her a debt of gratitude. 
Okay. That is all the time we have, uh, audience. We'll be talking about the election again tomorrow. So if you couldn't get through, please call back. We'll be taking a different tack, but, uh, we could not get through everything there is to be said about it in this hour. Thank you so much to our strategy panel, Charles Bird, Karen Stintz, and Semhar Tekest. Thank you, uh, Libby. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.